0: Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by 4for4.com. Ryan Noonan here, and joining me as always, fellow 4for4.com writer, Connor Allen. What's going on, man?
1: Not too much. Just uh, diving into all the logistics of Illinois sports betting, um, trying to make sure I get all the deposit bonuses I can and take <laughs> advantage of these guys, <laughs> You know, uh, get all the free money while you can.
0: Yeah. Good times here in, in Illinois, and hopefully we just keep slowly spreading across the country here and uh, having new things open up Uh, we've been stuck with this well I don't even say stuck because you know three months ago two months ago we had nothing so we've been locked into our one means of of being able to bet legally Uh, we probably should have some more books here popping up with DraftKings and FanDuel getting involved here in Illinois here soon which is outstanding and I am really excited to talk AFC East with you, Connor. You are, uh, you've are you been kind of foaming at the mouth um, offline where we're talking about this one. You have a lot of strong takes, and there might be some Patriots touting in here, uh, and not for me. So I am really excited to hear this. So uh, I'll just kind of talk about it from the top. Um, as you know, we are in the middle of our division previews. We did the NFC East last week. If you have not checked that out, go ahead and do so. And you can find us on Twitter, um, find the show at move the line NFL. Um, you can download us basically anywhere. You can find a podcast, um, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, obviously. And, um, yeah, we're excited. We're going to knock through all of these divisions should take us right up perfectly right into our week one show getting started but you know we're going to talk about um, really all the ways that you can bet on a division heading into the season so let's talk about the AFC East Connor um, just as an overview obviously the big moving target here is Tom Brady out of the division after a uh, dominant 20-year run which uh, I know the dichotomy of this entire episode is that you're excited that he's gone because <laughs> screw the Pats as you said um and i think some different words i think you used some more yeah. choice words but uh you're also really fired up for your boy cam newton but um you know the bills made the playoffs last year uh, they seem to be on the come everyone pre cam definitely had them um, even though you know the betting market was pretty much split on the patriots and the bills you know a lot of buzz on on buffalo here coming into the season Uh, Jets still kicking around, uh, looking to get something out of their third-year quarterback here, Sam Darnold now, and then Miami really building it from the ground up. Great draft, Um, and then adding, you know, obviously a a key piece in Tua to build around, but give me your thoughts overall before we dig into teams on this division.
1: I mean, with the, the Patriots at plus 105 here and getting Cam Newton, I think that that's, you know, my initial lean. We'll dive into that a little bit more, but... Um, I also understand those taking the Bills at plus 150. I don't think that's a terrible bet if you're a Bills backer. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you're wasting money on the Jets and Dolphins here if you're taking them at plus 775 and plus 800. Both the Pats and Bills alone, based on defense, can hold off the Jets and Dolphins. So we'll, we'll dive in more to each team though.
0: Yeah. It feels similar to what we had last week in the, uh, in the NFC. In The East, where we have you know two teams that seem to be you know playoff uh, contenders, and then two teams that are uh, you know kind of on the bottom and, and flipping things up. But let's get started with the Patriots. Uh, Patriots here, as you mentioned, favorites in the division plus 105, uh, they are minus two and a quarter to make the playoffs. Um, you can get their over under. Um, basically nine everywhere. FanDuel's jacked it up a little bit, nine and a half. They are ten to one to win the AFC, and now twenty to one to win the Super Bowl. Those are newer numbers, Connor. I know you have some access to some stuff that you grabbed right as the Cam news broke. Um, get us started. Talk to us about what you got, and then uh, the Pats.
1: Yeah. So um, I as soon as the Cam news broke, you know, I went to a lot of different shops. Um, you know, and was able to grab Pats at 32 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Pats win the AFC at 16 to 1. And I maxed a couple of price per head shops at over 8.5 wins, you know, at even or minus 110. Um, and so, I mean, as soon as Cam signed, I knew that this was going to go up to 9 or 9.5. And I think that that's fair. Um, but I think that this is still way too low here. I mean, Cam Newton is just, an awesome signing. I actually got word, you know, probably in March that the Patriots were, you know, quote, locked in on Cam. That's what I got and uh I mean, not that I didn't believe it, but it was kind of tough to believe with all the legitimate beat reporters kind of saying like, "No, they're not going to take Cam. They're not going to try and sign him." And the biggest thing that hit us was coronavirus. Like, his health was so important to the Patriots and whether they could actually run like a physical or get some of their own guys to test him out. Um, and that didn't happen for a little bit, like, you know, whatever, a month and a half, two months. And so it took a long time for them to sign him. And so I had plenty of tickets at like seven and a half, eight to one, six to one, five and a half to one on cam to the Pats. Um, and you know, at one point it actually went all the way up to like minus minus one eighty. um, on cam to go to the Pats and, you know, luckily we were able to cash that out, but it went like, it was just moving like crazy. I was tweeting it out all off season because I thought it was one of the most interesting moves for sure, of the off season because of such a volatile quarterback. But, yeah, so I grabbed a lot of Cam, a lot of uh, Pat's futures here. But I think what's most important here is that we kind of dive into who Cam Newton is a player and, like, what kind of player the Patriots are getting. Because the people who are citing, like, bulk Cam Newton stats from the last, like, three years are just, like, avoiding all the context of what happened in those seasons. Because if you go through the timeline here, 2019 he played in two games. He suffered like a mild foot sprain in the preseason, though. So this is before week one in 2019. He played through it, and he wasn't mobile. I think he rushed for like negative two yards, you know, in that week one game. But he was okay as a passer. Completed like 65% of his passes. So he was still okay. His arm was – his shoulder was okay, which is a big thing from 2018 where he had serious shoulder issues. And then early in week two, his foot sprain led to like a Frank injury. He played miserably, you know, wound up with negative two rushing yards on the season, couldn't even move, you know, was was done for the rest of 2019. And then you go back one season further to 2018. So like, when let's look when he was healthy. Weeks 1 through 12, Cam Newton is playing at an elite level. He completed 69% of his passes, 22 to 7 touchdown interception ratio, averaging 7.5 yards per attempt. And then you kind of understand, like, okay, well, what happened? Like, Why did he regress in those last few games and then end up, you know, not playing the rest of the season? He got hit super hard in week nine against Pittsburgh uh, by TJ Watt in his shoulder. And then from there on, he was like still playing okay for those last few games. But I mean, really the wheels fell off. Like he, the soreness continued. He was pulled out for Hail Marys. Like clearly the shoulder was not the same and he threw four picks against the Bucks, and which is pretty much, you know, like that was the end of his season, you know, like he couldn't do much after and he ended up playing two games afterwards. But I don't, I don't think that those are relevant to the sample of what we're getting from a Cam Newton now. So the last time we saw healthy Cam Newton playing, we're seeing him play like a top five, top ten level. And I mean at this point, like I don't even think that he needs to play at that level for the Patriots to be a value or at eight and a half wins and even maybe a value at nine wins here. I think that Cam provides them a different level of quarterback play than what they've been receiving lately and – Maybe he'll turn the ball over a little bit more than Tom Brady, but the rushing threat alone that Josh McDaniels is going to scheme up, I think, is going to shock people. Like they're going to have a totally different offense here. Coach McDaniels, you you're able to, to call some stuff that you ain't never been able to call now? All right, you, you know, I told, hey, you getting a dog? You get, I'm, and you ain't, you ain't, you getting one of these ticked off dogs too? Yeah. That's like, bro. And I'm looking at the schedule. I'm like, who we play? That team passed on me. Okay, that team passed on me. They could have game and got me. I think it's gonna be wild. I know that that was a super long rant, Noonan, but I am just, I am so in on Cam Noonan and the Patriots. And I mean, the market is just totally undervaluing them. Am I, am I crazy here or what? It, take your bias away. I know you're a homer, but I can't, I can't take my bias away. You are lathered up and you have Patriot
0: tickets pouring out of your pocket. I can't, I can't tame it down. I'm excited. I was ready to to bury in here and dig in and give strong patriot takes two months ago when it was going to be Jared Stidham. So I'm ready to go with some Cam Newton <laughs> takes, man. I'm I am 100% with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he he hurt his foot actually in the preseason against the Patriots and then lit up the Rams and then just really wasn't the same. Obviously, he didn't have the mobility. All the stats that you stated, uh, and I think that. He's, uh, you know, we're not talking about like a 38, 30-year-old, 30 39-year-old like quarterback like some of the other guys, you know, that have, you know, like Philip Rivers who switched teams and, you know, everyone's touting the Colts or, you know, we have really high expectations for what Big Ben's going to do coming back for Pittsburgh and, you know, I'm part of that. I think Big Ben's in a nice spot, but we're, we're talking about Cam who just got into his 30s. He's not necessarily so long in the teeth that he can't all of a sudden come back from you know, a foot injury. And I know it's not anything we would want to have for a rushing quarterback, but again, the important piece is that the shoulder is good. That was the big thing coming into 2019 coming off of the big shoulder injury. So, I'm in. I I think that they are the class of the division still. The the defense is outstanding. I know they had a lot of key losses, but um they addressed it massively in the draft. They just it's the Patriots. They fill those in schematically as a system better than anyone. And they've done it for 20 years. I'm uh, not super worried about worried about specific guys going to, you know, a Kyle Van Noy going to Detroit per se. Like that doesn't really move the needle for me on whether I think the Patriots defense <laughs> is good or not. They're yeah. still going to be dynamic uh, defensively. And uh, yeah, I mean, having anything that over eight and a half wins is a fantastic ticket to have. You know, getting them above still, you know, nine anywhere else is still a nice number that I would want to get. Um, looking at our projections over four for four, there are some buying opportunities in the player prop market, and you know Cam in particular jumps out. We have Cam pegged for 3,600 passing yards. That is uh, significantly higher than most of the market on Cam.
1: Yeah, I mean that's like. I don't know. I think that there's there's still some concern over whether Cam is going to be the week one starter and I think that that is uh laughable. Uh, I think that that's like Cam Newton would have to suffer an injury um you know and so I mean at 2950 passing yards, he's never hit lower that, than that in his entire career in a season that he's played besides the 2019 season where he played two games. He's never hit lower than 3000 passing yards. So, I mean yeah, I think that he's going to, after, you know, two years to recover from an, an ankle injury and uh, a year to recover from, a, or a, whatever, opposite with the shoulder injury and the ankle injury. I mean, like, he has had plenty of time to recover. He's proven he's healthy. He passed the physical for the Patriots. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm well in on the over 2950 from Sugar House. We're also seeing like 3240 at Fox bet for passing yards. Uh, I mean that i'm a little less inclined to because you can shop for a better number that's three hundred passing yards better uh sugar house, so yeah, I like the over there i d- i don't really think it's all that close either um i mean just i'm i'm so excited to see how they how they scheme up their offense. I do think they might start a little conservative at first to be honest though I think that it might be it might not quite come out of the gates um with how much time they've had to prep together, but you know by mid season I think that they are going to be rolling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know it's kind of the Pat's MO anyway. Like are always playing a long game. Part of it's been, you know, they very rarely in the last twenty years have been, you know, trying to fight for playoff position or, you know, to make the playoffs. It's really just been it's get the team healthy and rolling at our best when it matters the most. And I think you'll see that here too. Obviously, you know, with Josh McDaniels having to get familiar with Cam and what Cam likes to do and what they can do differently, you know, maybe obviously it's not a surprise to say that they're going to be parts of the playbook that are either being written up now or haven't been opened since really, you know, uh, since he's been in new England, things that they could do with cam. Uh, it's going to be exciting. I know it's not the most sexy skill position, um, group obviously around him. Sony Michelle is just clearly not the same back that he was in his early college years, obviously dealing with, you know, knee injuries that are, are problematic, um, and they just don't throw to him whatsoever. Uh, James White's still there. He's dynamic. He'll still be a part of it. I'm hoping we get a little bit of maybe Damian Harris, guy drafted out of Alabama last year in the third round, hoping he gets a role here too. And I know the you know, big disappointment, giving up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu was not a smart move. Um, I know that they were desperate, but Sanu was also hurt last year too, dealing with a foot injury. I think that he's we probably saw the worst of him last year. I think he'll be better this year. Edelman's back, hoping to kill Harry, steps up. They added you know, back-to-back third-round tight ends in the draft that I think can play some uh, intricate roles for them too. So I'm excited about this team with Cam under center. Like I said, the defense is going to continue to be stout, and I think that they are the uh, the clear favorite here in this division with the Cam signing. Any of these other props that we have, Connor, they catch your eye as far as Edelman and I know we have some, uh, Sony Michelle. I don't too. know.
1: I'm not really sure. I, like Cam's skill set necessarily fits like Edelman, you know, like I think, you know, Brady and Edelman were a lot better of a fit with like the quick passing rather than, uh, you sure. know, cam, but I mean, cam, you know, as has fed McCaffrey to, you know, plenty of receptions. So, um, I mean, it's not like unheard of that, uh, you know, an underneath throw, an underneath pass catcher would be able to catch a lot of passes, but yeah, I'm kind of like off it. I think we have, our uh, projection here right on par with what they have. I mean, DK is 850 receiving yards. Edelman Fox bets at 924. We have exactly 924, which I find interesting. Um, And then Sony, Michelle, 924 rushing yards. Our projections really low on him at 800 yards. And I think that, you know, uh, we've talked a lot with Evan Silva about uh, Michelle, because for me, I think that if we see a healthy Cam Newton and, and, I think that their game plan is going to be a lot more run heavy and focused on, you know, leveraging Cam's rushing ability. And we've seen this in the past where like rushing quarterbacks help boost running backs efficiency. Um, so I do think that whoever's in that backfield, whether it be Michelle or potentially Damien Harris, is able to have like a really good season or whoever's kind of playing that game. But the issue is, you know, Dr. Chow, pro football doc, things like Michelle's knees are just like totally shot. And so, like, he's, like, probably not even going to play, like, half the season or get through half the season with a full workload. And so, obviously, that's just one guy's opinion. Um, but, I mean, that's enough for me not to want to take the over on Michelle. But otherwise, I do think that, you know, from a game-to-game perspective, if one or the other is out or we can kind of get a, you know, look at the clear workload, like, I'm going to look to take advantage of those player props here because, we like you said, with that defense that they have – um and Cam, like, as a rushing threat, I think that there is going to be at least one running back that is very, very viable.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I like you made some good pitchers in our uh, jerk syndicates. You know, we're doing some <laughs> high-stakes stuff together. And, um, you know, since some of this news, too, with with Sony in the last month or so, you know, they had off-season procedure and just – I think he's slipping to a point where – He's a buy a little bit. I mean, I doesn't yeah. mean I'm excited about him, but when you're starting to talk about a guy that's going in like the ninth, 10th, 11th round, he's getting really close to Damian Harris, who again, you know, just wasn't dressing even last year. And, you know, we can say all we want about, you know, Sonny Michel and maybe his trajectory moving forward. Like he still seems to be the best bet this season. You know to to be the man or at least the guy that has the first shot to be the man in the season where we're really going to be continuously talking about continuity and familiarity. obviously we're adding a massive piece here in cam that's not you know part of last year's plan, but as far as the other pieces go, you know Sony knows the system played in it last year. you know I think there's some buying opportunity in fantasy, I agree with you I wouldn't want to have anything to do with a, we talk about shoring running back props all the time anyway. And, you know, there's lots of questions and I just don't think it's the right play
1: for Michelle. Man,
0: I'm excited that you (laughs) are on the Pats. Uh, I I love it.
1: You know, what's fun, too, is I already took the Patriots minus six and a half against the Dolphins in week one. I mean, I think that that line is going to look as ridiculous as the Ravens did being favored by four and a half against the Dolphins in week one uh, last year. I'm kind of like that—that that bullish on this this offense. I know we talked about that last year. Is that we did yeah. we were definitely in on the Ravens at four and a half, but we were kind of we were scared. You know, we were like a little bit, a little bit scared of that. But I mean, I think what did they win by forty points or something like that? Fifty oh, points yeah. it wasn't even close. I wouldn't be surprised if something similar happens here. One last point I want to make on this team is that so you brought up the point about how the you know the receiving core here is not very good. I mean, Cam Newton won an MVP with. Ted Ginn Jr. is his number one wide receiver, and Jericho Cotchery was the second wide receiver. (laughs) I mean, Greg Olson was there. Don't get me wrong. You know, he was obviously a good safety blanket and was a good tight end, but he's throwing a Ted Ginn Jr., Jericho Cotchery, Corey Brown, Devin Funchess played some games. I mean, like, these guys are bums. You know what I mean? Like, there's – I'm not saying the Patriots' pass catching core is good, but, like, he has the upside to do something with, you know, nothing or little so yeah I, uh, I, I, I would say that's exaggerated like,
0: it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the fact oh, totally. that it's is exaggerated
1: yeah, you know, yeah. and i think i think that's both both things going for him it's right. like the the patriots pass catchers are not that bad i mean they have a first round pick who didn't play well last year but he has at least has some upside i could think that that's an interesting question too like what do you make of him going into this year are you going to be in on any props on Nikhil harry um I'm kind of personally staying away at first, like till we actually see something from him because I, I have no idea like, you know what to expect from him after he was just like, not, not very productive last year at all.
0: Yeah. Well, he, he struggled to get on the field early in the season and was decent a little bit later in the year. And, um, I'd rather be early on that party. And I, it doesn't mean I season long prop market is a way yeah. to approach that. But I, I feel like if he starts to pop, um, you know, I see that that being a real thing. I mean, everyone likes him coming to the draft. I was surprised that the Patriots took him, uh, but I think that there's some some skill there, and he kind of fits the mo of some of those guys that you listed off that Cam had success with in Carolina. Like he could be a um, you know contested catch, a nice red zone target kind of guy that can uh, that can go up and win. And you know, I'm bullish on some of the rookie. I mean, rookie tight ends are always hard to project, but. um you know, how the Patriots are expected to use them is really going to be in a pass-catching, H-back kind of a role, and I think they could produce. Um, I don't know that, again, either of them are necessarily super viable for this season in one-offs, but I think that they're going to be, you know, useful to help run in the cog of the offense as a whole and move them forward, really when it was a complete air ball at the position last year. It really just had blocking guys. I mean, a lot of Ryan Lacoste and things like that last year. It's not necessarily um what you want from the position. But uh yeah, pats are uh it's not over, man. Still the bell of the ball in the AFC East, buddy. So glad you're gonna be here to join <laughs> with me. Uh, yeah, so. I'm pumped. Alright, move on to the Bills everyone thought was taking over here in the AFC East. They as we mentioned earlier, plus 150 to win this division. Uh eight and a half with some juice in most spots on the win total. Uh, you can get them at nine out there as well. They are minus 149 at Foxbat to make the playoffs, uh, plus 1,600 to win the AFC and 32-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. This is a, again, we mentioned a playoff team last year. They just shit the bed in the playoffs. Uh, that was a unbelievable game to watch uh, <laughs> at Houston last year. We got the full-on Josh Allen experience. Um, they were 10-6. They look like they're built to be a playoff team again, but really, uh, as you've noted and we've talked about, they really made their hay last year on t- um, beating up on bad teams, and uh, are they good enough to go back to the playoffs this
1: year? I think that they probably are going to be on that fringe again because they will beat up on bad teams. I mean, their defense is very good. Uh, I mean, Josh Allen is an interesting playmaker with you know some upside in some areas, um, but... I think what's worth noting is like, so their record against teams that ranked in the top 24 of total efficiency. So offensive offensive and defensive efficiency combined last year was four and six. This includes the playoffs against the Texans and their other six games were against bottom 20 or bottom teams in the efficiency. So those bottom 12 teams, they went six and one. I mean, so like you said, they really just beat up on bad teams this year. Their schedule is middle of the road. So it's going to be some good teams, some bad teams, kind of like last season. So, I think that they're going to be a contender, but I mean, they're over under at some spots when it opened was like nine and a half. I mean, I, at that point I was on the under, I did take a little bit of action on bills under nine and a half wins. Um At nine, I would still like the under, but you know, with, especially with some of the other spots being at eight and a half, eight and a half, I'm not touching it. I do think there's still like, you know, an eight or nine win team, but I think that it's closer to, you know, seven and nine rather than eight and eight to be honest. So at nine and a half, I'm definitely in on the under nine. I still like it eight and a half. I'm kind of off of it, but I mean, to be honest, I just still don't really believe is in Josh Allen as a long-term starter. Um, and I know that any bills, mafia listeners are going to be really upset about that, but I mean, maybe just unsubscribe to the podcast because I'm going to be continuing (laughs) to hammer, hammer Josh Allen for the rest of the year. Um, I mean, he's, he's shown that he can do, he's a great fantasy quarterback, he's good at rushing the ball, he's interesting, he's exciting, but as terms of an accurate thrower, I don't think that he is very good. And I think that that's backed up by, you know, a lot of pro football focuses stats here. Um, I mean, he was accurate on just 53% of his throws, according to them. Uh, I mean, Dwayne McFarland, uh, Context Matters on Twitter did a really good thread on Josh Allen and kind of like, you know, they, chart where on the receiver the balls are being thrown to and like you know he has a nice big red circle on accurate of being poor like it's not even below average they grade below average average good very good and elite he was elite at back throwing and everywhere else he was average below average or poor um so i don't know i i think that the addition of stefan Diggs will be helpful but at the same time i'm I'm not really sold on him making that next step forward. And I think that for you to be interested in the Bills, which I know that um, you know, Adam Levitan, a really sharp analyst over at Established Run is he actually booked our our friend Joey Kanish for Bills to win the division at plus two hundred. Um Kanish was that confident that the Bills would not win the division, um that he was willing to book Levitan at plus two hundred, which I found interesting. Two diff differing sharp minds there, but um, I'll probably stick to what's offered on the board here. Where are you at on the Bills?
0: Yeah, um, I'm with you. I think that you have to kind of make that caveat, and it gets really cloudy in our little Twitter sphere when we talk specifically Josh Allen, right? It's like, like it is you have to either preface it with you're talking about fantasy or not because it's really – I think both sides at this point are pretty – indisputable he is a very effective valuable fantasy quarterback uh he has a uncle rico laser rocket arm chuck it over the mountain kind of a thing going on how much you want to make a bet i can throw football over the mountain he will run he is a red zone threat uh with his legs you know he's really essentially their goal lineback um since he's been in the league and he kind of sucks in real life. He is horribly inaccurate. He is known for making terrible decisions. I referenced it at the top. We got the <laughs> whole Josh Allen experience in the playoff game. Like that lateral is something that I don't know that any of us will ever forget. It was just an insane
1: oh, moment
0: man. that like you would pull your son out of the game in flag football to be like, What are you doing? You, you can't do that there. Like and it was in a playoff game, in like the fourth quarter of a playoff game. And uh, Yeah, I mean, he's fun to watch, but man, I would hate if he was my quarterback. Um, I mean, good points. I mean, defense is solid, really good against the pass. They were fifth in defensive DVOA last year, middle of the pack against the run. Schedule, though, as you mentioned, much more difficult this year. As we should note at the top, really, the AFC East as a whole plays the uh, AFC West and the NFC West this year. Those are two pretty strong divisions, right? You're facing both Super Bowl teams. You know, you get the you know up-and-coming you know, Cardinals in there. You get the Seahawks are always feisty. You know, a lot of the teams in the AFC West have improved as well. So, again, um, difficult division as a whole for the AFC or schedule on the whole for the AFC East here. So um, I think with the expanded playoffs here, I could see them making the playoffs. Um, I don't yeah. think that they're good enough to go ahead and, and beat the Patriots to win the division. I think they'll be able to be... Significantly better than both the Jets and the Dolphins, taking advantage of those games for sure. But uh, I feel like 10-6, and 6, what they did last year, is kind of their ceiling this year. I don't think they're much better than that. Kind of feels more like a 9-7, and 7, though that very well could get you into the playoffs here in the AFC. Um, big addition, Stefan Diggs. And this is kind of a weird thing, too. Like I know Diggs is was exceptional last year. Right? I think best year um, in yards per target. He was just a deep ball monster. And he's always been known, even back in his high school days, coming into you know college, that he was just an elite route runner, and that would seem to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, to be an added benefit for an extremely accurate passer, you know, someone like a Drew Brees, or you know, even with like a Brady himself, you know, maybe a lower A dot accurate quick route, Kirk Cousins, where he came from, right? That's a really good fit for him, whereas. I know that he's skilled as a deep ball receiver, so the fact that he can turn some of those inaccurate deep balls into receptions because he can run under them and make plays, it feels like a weird fit, doesn't it? It kind of feels like he's a similar player to Josh Brown or John Brown, really who emerged as kind of a possession receiver for them last year after really just being a you know a route a fly runner for the
1: most of his career coming in. so um,
0: talk to me a little bit about what you think digs and how yeah. he fits in.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's a good point. Is that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I thought too, really, is like, I mean, he's a great route runner, but like, is Josh Allen accurate enough to accentuate that? And, I think that that's kind of – I think that that's more potentially a detriment to Diggs' production than Josh Allen's because, you know, like I think this sure. – like it helps Josh Allen's because like having a guy open isn't a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like that – I don't think that that can hurt Josh Allen, right? But yeah. I think it hurts Stephon Diggs if the pass is sailing 10 yards over his head. You know, like yeah. that's that's the difference between Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen is that it's you know the ac- level of accuracy. So for me, like I think that – so Josh Allen's proper looking at 3,200 over under – we haven't projected for thirty seven twenty one. Like I think the over is a fair bet here. I mean he was at like three a little over three thousand last year, um three thousand eighty nine yards. And he added stuff on digs, like a legitimate, you know, number one, you know, one A, one B type of receiver. So like I think that that's actually pretty reasonable to take the over there. And you know I'm not super excited about Josh Allen. Josh Allen's accuracy. But I think that when you look at Stefan Diggs over under, which is 975, I mean, we still technically haven't projected for over, but I like the under here. I mean, I think that really that Smokey Brown and him are going to like compete for targets because John Brown and uh, Josh Allen had like a really good rapport. I thought Um, like last year, uh John Brown saw four targets or more in every game, averaged seven point six across fifteen games. Maybe that was because there was a lack of competition, but like like you said, like he was their possession receiver. Like I mean, he's a good route runner. I'm Matt Harmon's done great research on like his uh reception perception and like how good of a route runner he is. But um I think that that's kind of that is kind of similar to Stefan Diggs. So I think that they're gonna be closer to a one A, one B situation rather than like a true number one and true number two. So like for that reasons I'm pretty much off stuff on Diggs. I like I think that if this number ever gets to over a 1000, which I believe it was at one point, um I like the under. I didn't get down on it, but I do like the under. 975 is close. I mean, I still think that he could get there. It's like whatever 70 yards a game or something like that. But uh I think that John Brown's over under of 800 and a half is undervalued. We haven't projected 949. I like the over here because I do think that he's going to be closer to stuff on Diggs than the market thinks.
0: Yeah, John Brown is damn good, man. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I I feel like it's a – that was really well said. I mean, I feel like it doesn't hurt Josh Allen that Stefan Diggs is going to be open. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it necessarily accentuates Diggs and what makes him super successful. So before we move on from Josh Allen, uh, Connor, we have a friend who is touting Josh Allen for MVP podcast articles eight bottles of champagne and like whatever it is <laughs> dude is going hard on Josh Allen MVP. Give me a scenario in which Josh Allen is a viable MVP candidate. Just again separating the odds. I get the play yeah. from an odd standpoint. It's a fifty one fifty to one bet. I get it. I there's some value in there. But give me a scenario in which he is actually mvp viable
1: all right so i think that this scenario would involve um scoring a lot of rushing touchdowns for one like he would have to have an above average rushing touchdown rate he would have to take another step forward as a passer he did take a step forward as a rookie you know from rookie to second year he took like i think it was like seven eight percent completion rate step forward and he did look better you know like his rookie year he looked like awful like abysmal and he did he looked like solid last year at times so you would have to take that next step forward as a passer, you know, maybe get into like 62, 63 percent completion rate, um, which is possible with Stefan Diggs. That is their number one wide receiver. Um right. The Patriots, Cam Newton suffers a setback and the Bills take over as, you know, the number one team in the division there. They go whatever, 14 and two, or 13 and three by dominating on a Patriots team that's now, you know, the number one contender for the the number one draft pick because Jared Stidham is not good, you know, in this hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, I don't think it's that outrageous, right? So in this, in this scenario where they're winning division, this is a winning team and Josh Allen's scoring a lot of touchdowns and he's improved again as a passer and has like, you know, potentially has an above average touchdown rate in general as well. So then you're looking at like, a uh, I, I don't even want to say this, like a Lamar Jackson light season where he rushes for half the amount of yards but still scores a lot of touchdowns and he's on a really winning team. Patrick Mahomes gets injured. Lamar Jackson gets injured. That's the scenario where Josh Allen wins MVP.
0: Okay. So the entire Patriots defense gets COVID. And <laughs> um, I'm with you. like, And a step forward in rushing touchdowns too at the top was like, he's got like 17 in his first two years, like eight yeah. or nine. So you're really going to be, you're getting into like 12 rushing touchdowns. I don't, again, I don't think it's a bad bet. I get that there's a long shot bet and we had feedback that we probably should have mentioned that on our prop preview season award podcast that we did with Joey Kanisha, you know, about a month ago. And that's fair feedback too. I'm just trying to think of what does that look like? What's the path to, Josh Allen, so I think you are articulated it pretty well.
1: I think um, I think my favorite games though were you know, like when he did play those good teams, uh and I know we talked about it last year on the pod, and I'll bring it up this year. New England twice, forty six percent completion rate, three interceptions, and then another the next game, fifty percent completion rate, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He got better, but still not great. Lost both yeah. games and that was when the patriots only put up 16 and 24 points which was you know not their best outing on offense if i remember correctly
0: well the one thing too that's really difficult in the prop market and then in fantasy is obviously the bills running back situation devin singletary pops last year especially towards the tail end of the year when they stopped feeding frank gore over and over again and even started to feature singletary as a pass catcher which is really nice then they go out and they draft Zach Moss in the third round really built to handle some of that workload around the goal line, kind of puts a wet blanket on Singletary and his prospects for the 2020 season. Um, Any interest in his prop that's out there? I know our projections here at four for four are a little higher than what the prop market has.
1: Yeah. I mean, DraftKings is offering 800-and-a-half rushing yards. We have him projected for 917. Um, I think that the over there is a fair bet. Um, like his, you know, appeal or lack thereof in fantasy is more tied to his, like, touchdown upside, which is, you know, almost non-existent after they drafted Zach Moss and with Josh Allen lingering. Um, so, yeah, I think that the over there is a pretty solid bet. I mean, he's probably going to be efficient on an offense that – hopefully should take a step forward like we talked about you know i think that there, there should be some step forward i just don't know how much um so yeah i think that the over there is a, a solid bet it's i don't really like betting on anything to do with this team really besides an, an under on stefan diggs and you know potentially an over on john brown but um you know kind of kind of off of it in general to be honest
0: Interesting to see Josh Norman there on the defensive side of the football. They did lose um, a few guys, especially in the linebacker core, basically replacing most of their starters on that side. And they also added Ed Rusher, A.J. Epinesa in the draft as well. He slips quite a bit in that draft. It was really what they needed um, as a pass rusher too. So if he can emerge and play well, uh, they should be back in that mix. And like I said, it kind of feels like a 9-7 a and seven season for the Bills. Uh, We can move on to the bottom of this division. Next is the Jets. Uh, Jets plus 370 to make the playoffs. Uh, Win total, basically 6.5 everywhere. Um, You can get them at 8-1 to to win the division. Uh, You can get them to go to the Super Bowl, winning the AFC at plus 4,080 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, This team is... uh, I don't even know what to make of this team. There are some people out there that are really bullish on Sam Darnold still.
1: Who, Michael and... Salfino or what?
0: Michael Salfino. I've seen some some PFF stuff. Oh, well, of course Salfino is. He's a <laughs> diehard Jets fan. Uh, yeah, he he will handle most of the Jets propaganda. But there's some uh, there's some PFF whispers about you know Darnold being better than he's played so far in the first couple of years. Um, yeah, talk to me about the Jets, man.
1: Yeah, I don't have a great like take on the Jets to be honest. After I was pretty passionate about the Patriots and the Bills. I mean, it's the
0: whole Adam Gase thing, right? I mean, like it's just super hard to have like a
1: positive yeah. take and I mean, he's like okay. He's like kind of like the new Jeff Fisher. Like he just kind of like grinds out like average seasons, but I mean, in his case maybe below average, you know what I mean? So, I took the under at +105 under 7. Um but now it's I mean it's at under seven at like minus one thirty five. I'd still consider it, but I mean they won seven games last year. <laughs> I don't know. I mean like you know, like I don't know how, but like they did. Um six and
0: two to end the season, yeah. They went on a nice game yeah, at the end of the year. Was, so
1: I don't know a cushy I mean, schedule. Yeah, exactly. So I mean I'm kind of just like I don't really know what to make of it. I like the under seven at plus money or even odds. Otherwise I'm probably just staying away. Uh, I mean, it's at six and a half in most spots now. Um, But, yeah, like, they're just not a really good team that played a super easy schedule last year. It's still only one seven wins. Like, you have Adam Gase there um, and, like, they add Frank Gore to the backfield, which I think kind of actually affects Le'Veon Bell. Like, he has um, a prop here at 850 rushing yards and then 1,275 rushing and receiving yards. Oh, man, like they like Gase has been pretty open about saying like, he doesn't even want Le'Veon Bell on the team. Like, he's just like, why did we spend this money on this guy? He was saying this last preseason. And that's kind of what got me off of him because, you know, you'd think like maybe an ascending team a lead running back who can, you know, catch the ball, who can run the ball decently well. But I mean, the offensive line still not projected to be great. And now they added Frank Gore who Adam Gase clearly, you know, just has a hard on for. So, I mean, I like the under on Le'Veon Bell's here. Four for four hasn't projected for 847 rushing yards, and then 1182 rushing plus receiving yards. So, um, yeah, I think lean on the under there for me.
0: Yeah, it is hopefully like a team that's going to be better than last year, but I don't know that they're good yet. Uh, It just is like the most unlikable coaching staff too, with Gase, Greg Williams at defensive coordinator, who is just. Obnoxious. Um, Dal Loggins has been just a, again, drain on every place he's been the last few years offensively. They played slow last year. um, You're really hoping that they get something from Bashard Perryman, who, again, was a first round pick, which feels like forever ago. um, Really emerged when everyone got hurt in Tampa last year, putting together a nice month to end the season. And he, you know, cashes in. With the Jets, and they had you know, Denzel Mims in the draft. So, you know, Perryman Mims and, and Jameson Crowder, who was very effective in his role when healthy last year, but like doesn't really move the needle um, as a playmaker to, you know, take the top off this offense and take him to the next level. You know, you're expecting a lot out of a stalwart left tackle with your first round pick uh, to keep Sam Darnold upright. I mean, he really is the key to obviously them moving forward. And it just uh, doesn't seem to be in the cards of the def- defensive side of the football. They are still not very good. Uh, really, really bad secondary still. And we know that again, this is a passing league and um, they just don't have anyone back there in really in the dominant secondary division. Patriots have a great secondary. We talked about the bills. They were fifth in defensive past DVOA. Um, you know, you know, Tradavius White is a stud. And the Dolphins went out and you know, added Byron Jones from the Cowboys and they have Xavier Howard still. The Jets have by far the worst secondary in this division. And you just can't win in the NFL nowadays with a shit secondary. And that's what they have.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think the point on Crowder um, definitely you know, I think rings true more for fantasy. But, like, with Sam Darnold, I pulled up these splits the other day. Um, In the 13 games he's played with them, he's averaged 58 receiving yards, 5.38 receptions, 8.3 targets. Um, So I think that's something, honestly, to look forward to more in season, like games that they're going to have negative game script and be throwing a lot. That's kind of like a weekly player prop because in 825 and a half receiving yards, like, even if you extrapolate his – you know, average receiving yards per game with Sam Darnold, he only gets to like 900, you know, with 58 per game. So, I mean, that's not enough of a difference for me to really consider taking the over on 825 and a half. Um, but I we do like, like...
0: 17 targets in week one last year or something like that.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. And that, that is skewed a lot by that. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he had like yeah. an insane amount of targets. And, I mean, he was still good the rest of the year, but yeah, it was definitely not quite there. So... Um, and then uh, Denzel Mims, you know, like I mean, I think that there's like a, we've kind of talked about it like we're kind of fading, you know, rookie wide receivers um, going into this season. I think that that's like with the, the connection there between the quarterback um, like or the lack thereof, you know, is going to be pretty tough for them to establish with. I don't know what what are they pro- proposing right now, like three weeks of training camp before the yeah. season starts, four weeks, you know what I mean? Um, and two of those are like working out. Um, so no preseason. I mean, yeah, it's like, I think it could take like halfway through the season for some rookies to like really get, get their stride, especially pass catchers, you know? Um, and then Chris Herndon, I mean, he's a popular breakout candidate has looked good before, but like the over under 600 and a half, we even projected 540. I don't really love the offense as a whole. So, I mean, it would take like a, a serious, I think like step forward from the offense in order for him to like fully break out. So, I'll probably just stay off that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, lots of uh, hype on him last year coming off, you know, suspension heading in the season and then comes back from the suspension. I yeah, think just kind of kept, kept kicking the can down the road because he had you know, different injuries and then he gets really hurt in his first game back, basically first quarterback. So, yeah. lost season for him. And really the only thing the Jets did well last year defensively is they stopped the run and we know really how you don't want to overstate that it's irrelevant but like it just there are teams now that just know that it just doesn't matter and they sell out to stop the pass like being super stout against the run is really just indicative of they didn't, couldn't do anything else so um, they were able to do that pretty well they still suck in the back half and that's a problem their best player doesn't want to be there and yeah it's just it's a mess um, definitely more bullish on the future of the Dolphins, we can move on to uh, Miami. Here, they are plus four seventy-five to make the playoffs. The win total six at FanDuel, six and a half basically everywhere else. Ten to one to win the AFC East. You can get them uh, fifty to one to win the AFC, and a hundred to one to win the Super Bowl. Mentioned they obviously had a loaded draft. They had a million picks, but I think they did really well with it for the most part. Um, I don't know necessarily how much that impacts them this year. But they're building on uh, on something to really move forward into the future. So, talk to me about your thoughts on the Dolphins for the season.
1: Yeah, they're tough because I mean they're definitely going to go through an in season quarterback change, but we just don't know when it's going to happen. Like Fitzpatrick's not the future. We also are like kind of clueless on how Tua's rehab's going. I mean, he looked you know good in that virtual pro day a couple of months back before the draft, but. Uh, I mean, we just don't really know. Like, I don't think there's much of a chance that he could win the starting job before the season with, like, no practice time and no time to, like, really prove himself. So I think that Fitzpatrick's going to be the starter. And what I like to do with these kind of, like, coaching changes, we talk about it, you know, fairly frequently. Like, when is this team going to be bad enough that they're going to turn to their rookie? Or, like, what at what point do we think that they could turn to the next, They're like, their quarterback of the future? Um So looking through the schedule here, um, I mean, the first five weeks are just brutal. Like they have the Patriots, the Bills, then they play the Jags. Like that's a winnable game, um, and then the Seahawks, and then the 49ers. Uh, I mean, like they're going to be one and four, you know, barring something outrageous. Um, and but I don't really know. I'm not really sure that that's when they turn to two. I think that optimally, so there's like a nice little spot in their schedule here. Um, week nine, before they, before the first time they play against the Jets. He would then get a bye week in week 10 and then play against the Jets in week 11 and then gets the Bengals in week 12. So, I mean, you have three relatively easy games with like a bye week in between to kind of like reevaluate like right away after one game. Um, I mean, if you're a coaching staff trying to boost a rookie's confidence and you know you're not going to win this year, I would say that for me, like that's probably when I would plug him in if the season has gone off the rails already, which, I mean, it will. Uh, I I would say there's like a, you know, less sub like 2% chance that they're like in a good position to make the playoffs by that point. Um so yeah, I think that like I think Tua is a good quarterback though and I like him for the future. I think this is an interesting team. I like how they're building everything like you said, like their draft picks are good. Um Chan Gailey at offensive coordinator is definitely interesting for fantasy and for prop the prop market. The issue is is like if Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to play the full season at quarterback I would be really interested in, like, Devontae Parker. I'd be interested in Preston Williams. I'd be interested in Gusecki. But we don't know when he's going to get pulled and how that's going to go and, like, what Tua is going to want. So, like, we're already looking at a midseason quarterback change here. Uh, but Chan Gailey's history with Ryan Fitzpatrick, with the Jets, and um, in the past, like, has been really, really good in terms of production because, I mean, Fitzpatrick just throws yellow balls, is not afraid to sling it <laughs> at all. Um, but where are you at on this team?
0: Yeah, I don't really. I, I'm. I think I'm so positive on some of the things they've done to move forward. I thought again they had a great draft. I have been an Avante Parker stand since Louisville days. I like what we saw from Preston Williams last year. Um, Mike Gisecki, I I love the skill set. I love the athletic ability. I know that there's some questions about how, you know, most of his emerging dominance at this tail end of the season last year kind of coincided with Williams being gone. And, you know, that's not super exciting, but, uh, I feel like they made some good changes. I mentioned earlier, um, about Kyle Vannoy going to the lions. I meant the dolphins as we were talking about. Um, I think he's going to be a good pick for them. Good pickup for them. Obviously some familiarity with Brian Flores. Um, you know, again, Byron Jones coming over from Dallas to solidify the other side of that secondary with Xavier Howard, who's you know been hit and miss early in his career, but is obviously shown to be a pretty stout corner. Um, yeah, I feel like they probably have their mind made up, assuming that Tua is healthy. They probably know when they're going to make a quarterback change. Um, but If he's not healthy, I mean, I don't know, like I feel like I don't feel like, I guess my point is, I don't feel like they're going to make this the decision based on schedule and win losses, per se. It's going to kind of that be when sense. they're ready to move forward with Tua, and I don't know that we're going to ever necessarily know that. It's like, I feel like if Tua is still not quite ready, and obviously losing the preseason snaps is massive for him, um, I feel like they're comfortable kind of punting the year again, knowing that they're really not a playoff contender. They've been able to add a ton of equity through the draft. You know, why not go out there? And I think from a fantasy perspective, we'd probably rather have um the YOLO fits magic sure. out there doing his thing. Oh, yeah. So um again, buying future seasons in the Dolphins if things continue this way, but uh this season kind of feels like they are a they're definitely better than last year, and last year they somehow ended up getting some wins towards the tail end of the season. So I can see them at six. Um you know, I could see them being better than the Jets.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think if Jets like kind of, you know, maybe take a little slight step back or the Dolphins are better than last year. Like, I mean the Jets are a five win team and the Dolphins are whatever, six, seven win team. You know, I think that's pretty reasonable and both within their range of outcomes. But I mean, with Tua, I just I just don't know. Like it's I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, and that maybe they do wait the whole year. But if he's healthy, if he's ready to go, like I don't know like I I feel like if you are really trying to plan for your quarterback's future like I think giving him a few games is probably helpful I don't know I mean like at least at some point I just don't know what that point is like if he is healthy if he's not healthy like don't play him at all like for sure there's no reason to rush him back and to that point like you he shouldn't play the season if he's not healthy but if he is healthy um I mean definitely not putting him in you know week one would be a good idea like but like I said you know in like Two Jets games and a Bengals game. I think that that's like reasonable um, if they want to build yeah. confidence. But or I mean, like you said, they could just wait the whole year, you know, shoot for next year because I think they are building something good down the line.
0: I mean, I would not be shocked. I know this is not, I think, the general thought here. I just wouldn't be shocked if we didn't see two at all. I feel like we're way more likely to see Justin Herbert in L.A. than we are Tua. Um, I think we probably see both more than likely, but if they just kind of redshirt Tua here, coming off of again just a weird off season, no real you know rookie camps, no preseason games, and coming off of multiple injured years in college, like who cares? Like why are you? I, I know that's how you're going to get the reps, but like let him stay in the system, you know, coach the crap out of him on the sideline, and just play for next year, Um, you know, chance to to make a playoff run for 2021. Um, I mean, I I think it's smart people in charge in Miami.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what you have to hope. Right. But like the issue with these like long-term strategies that I think we think, or we think are pretty simplistic and would make a lot of sense. Like what you're saying, like that totally makes sense. But like how long of a leash does Brian Flores have? Like how long does the coaching staff have to not win games? And so, you know, a smart, Uh, organization would say like don't worry about Tua you got next year you know you're okay and say that to the whole coaching staff and say let's build something you know what I mean we believe in everyone here and let's build for next year and then the year after that Um, which is you know the right position they're not going to contend for a Super Bowl but that's just like not how a lot of teams in the NFL work unfortunately and I feel like almost none yeah like none at all because you know, the leash is generally like two years, two to three years. And if they're not winning or have not won anything in those time, like they're done. And even sometimes less, maybe one year. And then, you know, I think that's an issue is that teams lack forward thinking and that they, you know, organization members. I mean, the issue is that the owners are just too fickle and they just want to like, you know, they're just churning through these guys. They're turning through front offices. They're turning through coaching staffs. Like it all just happens way too quick. And so I think optimally you're right, but I just don't know how the, the dolphins think. And, I think that hopefully they're smart and that they want they have a long term plan here, but I'm not really sure to be honest.
0: Yeah, uh, you could be right. I mean, that, we'll find out. I think I will get the answer to that question for is sure.
1: how? How soon yeah. do
0: we see Tua? That's really kind of the <laughs> that's kind of yeah. the answer there. So, uh, any of the props available for us um, interest you here? We have Devontae Parker props um, and Mike Geseki as well.
1: Yeah, I mean Devontae Parker thousand ninety yards kind of like I said if we could bank on Fitzpatrick 100% whole year I think Devontae Parker over would be good but I mean the splits with Preston Williams were actually really weird like Devontae Parker was a you know continuing to be a nobody until before Watch you know, your mouth. until <laughs> after Preston Williams got injured um, and that's when he really exploded in that end of the season you know run there without Preston Williams and like I don't know. Maybe the splits are all just noise and, like, it took a while for him and Fitzpatrick to connect. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. I thought, I think it is noteworthy that, like, Preston Williams was having some good games before he got injured and Devontae Parker was not producing. And so, I mean, those things do, did seem to correlate pretty well. Our projection has him at 995. So at 1,090, I mean, I'm not really interested in it. Um, Gasaki, we have at 649. Uh, our project, our, our projections have him at 641. So literally right on with the market here. Um I mean I there's been some interesting talk about Gasecki lately on Twitter about how he broke like zero tackles last year um and was also a nobody with Preston Williams in the lineup. I believe Graham Barfield just tweeted something about out about that today. Um and so I don't know. I think that the case for Mike Gasecki makes sense in terms of him being like a big slot and being, you know, uh, a good prospect. I think you can make a better case for him than I can, so I'll, I'll let you have the floor here.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he's an incredible like, size, speed athlete. Um, he just you know, popped in college, and you know, like you said, he wasn't great last year. He's disappointed as a rookie the year prior, but when they used him with all the injuries that they had, you know, Preston Williams, we know Albert Wilson can never stay on the field. There's a lot of talk about using him as their slot receiver. This year is a big slot. So having you know Parker and Williams on the outside and Gusecki in the slot, like that is pretty mouth watering. When you have a D. Gaff gunslinger like Fitzpatrick back there, who just is willing to jam it in, and it's hard not to watch Gusecki highlights when he popped last year to be like, damn, how is this guy not a week in, week out stud? So there could be something to that. I feel like maybe some of those things. You know, we want to take into consideration target share and production when certain pieces are in and out of the lineup. And I think there's something to that for sure. There also could just be these guys, especially Gasecki, just kind of finally emerging. So do I expect him to all of a sudden be, you know, a top five, top six tight end? Probably not, but all the talent in the world to do so. And if he does get a big slot type opportunity and is targeted often, Um, I think that he is definitely a buy and could hammer this projection.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like it's almost like the Tyler Higby, you know, argument of is it him breaking out in this role or is it, you know, the lack of other pass catchers before? And I think that that's kind of like. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be, you know, up to us or our opinion of what we think of the player. It's going to be the coaching staff and how they decide to move forward with that. So like, will they continue to use Gaseki in a featured role and, you know, not have Preston Williams, you know, be featured as much or be on the field as much? And I think that that's like, you know, maybe he is still on the field, but, I don't know. Maybe they just feature Gesecki more. Maybe they feature Parker more. And that's, you know, so a lot of that is up to the coaching staff or sometimes the quarterback of who they like to target. So it's kind of like a, a big mix of things that is really tough for us to project. So I think, like you said, the upside is there. I'm just, I'm a little nervous, you know, and I think that, sure. um, so for like a season long bet, um, I'm probably, this is not something I'm super confident in. Um, but like you said, I think that applying him in, you know, an upside format where like a tournament style season long league like the FFPC, you know, makes a lot of sense because he could totally just smash like he could double this projection um, yeah. and score 10 touchdowns if, you know, Fitzpatrick's the QB the whole year and uh, they decide to feature him. And that's like not even that ridiculous. So um, I don't think that a binary season long prop projection is the best way to attack his outcomes
0: yeah i think only i don't have it in front of me probably pull it but it's not a great listen i think only travis kelsey and darren waller lined up more off the line last year than gasecki did um and again part of that could be again the preston williams thing we don't know but the the talk in the off season was they really liked how he performed in the slot and they can't keep albert wilson on the field you know he's been nothing but potential since he's been in the league, nothing's <laughs> happened there. Um, why not go with three large athletic um, producers that could really make something happen? So, um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'd rather buy here on potential based on what we saw and what I think he can be. And, you know, it's a crowded market in tight end. Like, it's as deep as probably it's ever been. Really loaded at the top. I think, obviously, the top two beasts are incredible with with Kittle and Kelsey but there's just more guys viable down the road this year. So that's why I understand people wanting to pass on Gusecki, which is why we haven't landed him in any of our high stakes stuff yet. Um, We can't get the whole team on board there, (laughs) but uh, I think you make a good point. Like because he does have massive potential, uh, I think he is a good fit for, for that setting more so than like a, a prop market. So, all right, man, that wraps it up. Um, pretty straightforward right i mean this this feels these first two kind of feel the same uh you know that we obviously have massive turnover year to year and you have bottom feeders the previous year that emerge and all of a sudden become playoff teams but both of these eastern divisions here pr- feel pretty straightforward two potential playoff teams at the top um with two teams that are trying to figure it out below um Kind of agree here that the Bills yep. and the Patriots are playoff teams.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that was really well said. Like it is just very top heavy, but it's not just one team dominating. It's, you know, two teams that I think are, um, well, well above the bottom two teams and it's, it's not really all that close. So, um, yeah, I think we, we did a good job of, you know, diving into why that is, but uh, maybe we'll see a little bit more turnover in, in years to come with the Dolphins making a jump or, you know, maybe the Jets get their shit together. Who knows?
0: yeah all right that wraps up the asc east we will be back with uh an nfc something probably (laughs) uh next episode again don't forget to find connor on twitter at connor allen nfl find me there as well at ryan union again finding the show over at move the line nfl we'll be back next week thanks everyone